0: Hi, it's Joanna Oki here, and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. And here on the show today, we have the fabulous Robin Purdy from our very own Aspect Legal Robin, welcome back on the show. I'm sure you're excited.
1: Thanks, Joe. <laughs> love being here. Always exciting to do podcasts with you.
0: <laughs> oh, don't lie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And today we are talking about tips
0: and traps. In IP ownership, and in particular, we're talking about this issue um, that that has come up quite a bit lately um, from a number of perspectives, which we'll discuss um, that relate to issues in validating the chain of title, i.e., who actually owns the intellectual property in your organisation. And maybe, Robin, um, give us a quick snapshot of some of the issues that you've seen. And I'm going to throw in with some issues I've seen as well. So we'll start with maybe what the problem is and then we'll get back. We'll, then we'll move backwards and we'll, we'll talk about what intellectual property is and how we work out this whole chain of title thing. But let's start with some examples. So what problems have you seen on your desk, Robin, recently?
1: I think, you know, the first thing that we want to talk about when we're thinking about this chain of title is in light of IP assets, is we're dealing with really intangible assets. So if you were talking about chain of title for real estate, for example, it's very easy to track who was the owner, how did they become the owner, and you can see the historical sequence there. Um, When you're talking about something intangible like copyright, however, it's very difficult to be able to put any sort of certainty around who the owner is if the proper documentation isn't there to support it. And one of the big problems that we see quite often is uh, where you, you've engaged third parties to create content for you. For example, you, you might de- engage a design team to, to produce some creative content for your website. And, you know, if in the absence of a really robust contractor's agreement that deals with who the actual owner is, you know, the default position is that the the contractor would be the owner. And so then if you had a situation where the business owner wanted to sell their business and you know part of the sale involved those IP assets You potentially could have an issue where they're selling something that they're not actually the owner of. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And so I think this comes up for us in a number of ways. Obviously, we deal with a lot of clients at exit and, of course, in the acquisition phase. And this is something that we're really looking out for in the due diligence. So that's the investigation of businesses um, or or companies that uh, are being acquired by our clients um, or, as I said, acting for our clients who are exit. So buyers, you know, want to be sure that where the value in the organisation that they're acquiring is partly IP or IP is a component of the value of that organisation they're acquiring, that they have clarity that the organisation actually owns that IP, you know, and that it's not going to be subject to an infringement action into the future. But it's not just at... Um, exit or acquisition that we're thinking about this. It's also when organisations are bringing on new equity holders, new business partners, when they're looking for funding, you know, so if they're after funding and they have to
1: validate the um, value of the IP in their balance sheet. Absolutely. Um, It can also arise in situations where they're considering just internal restructuring and, you know, they're looking at creating IP holding entities or, you know, trying to engage in some, you know, creating of additional entities for asset protection reasons. Mm. Um, and you want to make sure that you're transferring the IP from the right owner, you know, into the ultimate, the holding company or, you know, where you want it to ultimately land. But for that to be effective, you know, it has to be the actual owner who's doing the transfer, so we, you know, aside from the obvious instances in the sale and the acquisitions of businesses, this sorts of considerations about proper ownership of IP assets can just pop its head up in all sorts of environments.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, working back through some um, of the issues that we have seen, I think the the reality here is quite often when when there's a concern about clarity as to IP ownership. So for example, let's use some hard examples here. Who actually owns the trademark or the brand name of an organization? Who actually owns? the source code that a business's whole website might be built on. Um, and some businesses, you know, the website and the and the development and the code that's part of that website are a large part of the value of the organization. Um, you know, obviously for tech companies. And where else do do we see this coming up?
1: Well, we see a rising, you know, in relation to copyright considerations as well, which is, you know, yeah. apart from the source code on the website, but it's the actual content that sits on the website as well. Things like, you know, for photographs, for example, um, you might have a situation where you've engaged a photographer to provide those photographs for you um, and you put them on your website. So, you know, you sell your website as part of your you know, business sale or, or whatever the case may be. And, you know, those photographs are sitting there. If we haven't established that you are the actual... Owner of the photographs, potentially, you know, down the track, the photographer may have a claim there for intellectual property infringement.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so it's about going back um, and understanding, I guess what we really need to do is go back to that point of creation of the intellectual property. And the problem is sometimes the creation of that intellectual property can be back a long time. You know, it can be back decades
1: sometimes. And you might have a situation where it was created by somebody, you know, a natural person who's now passed, Uh, You may have a situation where it was created by an organisation that's been dissolved for some reason. And so trying to plug the holes in, you know, the gaps of chain of title or the ownership problem is not always going to be an easy thing to achieve, um, which is why we want to be turning our minds to it, you know, as soon as possible when we're talking about IP creation to Mm. make sure that, you know, we're starting out in the best way possible.
0: Okay, brilliant. So look, I, I guess we've traversed what the problems are that um, we've seen on our desks. You, you know, quite often, you, you know, it's actually a regular basis that we're dealing with these questions, whether it's, you, you know, part of due diligence, investigating the um value of the assets that are being purchased, whether it's getting a business ready for exit or dealing with their own due diligence responses, whether it's um preparing a business for growth. Um, whether it's preparing a business for funding, or just dealing with some uh, internal hostilities within an organisation, say for example, with its um, you, you know its owners or its contractors or people who have developed the IP. So we've talked about the problems. Maybe let's go back and establish some of the background. So. Firstly, um, I think I'd like to just traverse what is intellectual property, so what are we talking about here, and what is chain of title, because I've just realised that we're using this word, uh, you know, this phrase, chain of title, and it may not have the same meaning to our listeners as it does to us. So let's start with intellectual property. What are the things that we're talking about here? And we gave some examples before, but let's sort of run through it.
1: I mean typically when you're talking about intellectual property you're talking about goodwill and your brand. So you think about the things that are making up your brand. It could be trademarks, uh, both registered or unregistered trademarks. You've got obviously got designs and in some case you might have registered patents as well. Um, but we're also talking about as you sort of referred to website content, source code. Um you know it's really the intangible assets, things that you can't physically touch with your hand that we're thinking of when we're talking about IP or intellectual property assets.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And I guess one thing to point out with intellectual property um, is that the the thing with intellectual property is the intangibility of it. And so this concept of who is the creator is such an important Concept that doesn't come up when we're thinking about elements that are real property, physical property. That's right. Um, so, and and I think it's also useful if we separate apart the concept of authorship versus economic rights. So, maybe if you can talk a little bit, Robin, about that distinction, um, in the world of intellectual property between authorship and the economic rights.
1: Sure. I mean, I think the best way to probably talk about that is just to illustrate it with some hard examples. When we're talking about authorship, what we're really speaking is about the the person who's created it, the actual inventor, the writer of the content, the photographer, really the the author of the creative work, the IP in question. Um, And then when you're talking about economic rights, it's, well, who did that author create the work for? Who's going to take the benefit in terms of using that creation. So typically, you're you're going to an ad company and and they're creating, you know, an advertisement or some marketing content for you. They're the creators or the authors of the work, but you as the business is is the one that's going to be profiting and gaining the economic benefit um, of that creative content. But here's the rub, isn't it, that um, if you want to
0: be the economic Um, uh, you know, hold the economic rights, i.e. you want to hold the copyright moving forward for the rights to make decisions about the use of um, the, the work that's being created. And, and, the ability to use it in a monopoly way, i.e., to stop the creative agency here in this example from going and using components of it with someone else, you need that assigned That's right. to you. And what we're really investigating when we're looking at chain of title, and we'll go back and explain that meaning in a second. What we're really investigating here, isn't it, is um, where did that where and when did that assignment occur from the author? To the person who ultimately holds the 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 copyright, the economic rights associated with it, yes. um, and and in that sense, that's what we're really trying to shore up. Um, you, you know, and, and sometimes.
1: There's a lack of clarity, isn't there? This there is. is, and sometimes you can there? have more than one owner as well. It's not mm. always clear cut. You, you know, you can have parties collaborating on the creation, and so then it it may be a case that there is more than one person or entity that is the proper owner of. Of the content or you know you're looking at something like a website and you think about the various components that make up the website and you, you may have copywriters and you may have photographers and and you may, may be writing content yourself and you may be using the intellectual property of a third party on on under some sort of licensing arrangement you know you've engaged software engineers to write source code for you Um, So, you know, there's obviously lots of different components involved there. There's going to be lots of different owners of each of those components as well. Mm. And so the example I gave is really the default position of where we're starting at. And what we want to do is try and make sure that if we do have a situation where the the author is different to the the party that's going to be deriving the economic benefit that we want to make sure that we've got that assignment in place so that we can say we going forward that the author no longer has the right to use that ip we don't want them being able to write give that copy to one of our competitors for example mm, mm, absolutely so going back and and then let's also
0: define chain of title um maybe robin if you can yes. sort of let our listeners know, <laughs> what is it that we are talking about? What is oh, it? What, what is, is it? What
1: is it? Talking <laughs> about chain of title, you those know, bloody lawyers with their jargon. The legal jargon. It, you know, in this instance, there's not a you know a statutory definition that we turn to, but when we're talking about chain of title, what we're really thinking of is the, the historical sequence, establishing ownership of the asset from the present owner back to the original owner. Um, And this can be thought of as maybe a series of documents or agreements that prove the ownership rights of the asset. So we're tracing the ownership back to who created it in the beginning to be able to establish how we own it now.
0: And we were doing some prep work on one of our clients recently, and I think I commented to you that I felt like we were almost detectives.
1: (laughs) Mm, It is very, absolutely. It starts with, you know, a really thorough audit of talking, talking to our clients. Okay. It's, We're we're talking about the website. So we want to know when did it come into existence? How did it come into existence? Whose idea was it? And what happened after you had the idea? Who did you go and speak to? Who helped you? You know, so it's very much a detective job there. We dive right in and, and untangle um, you know, the history of how these things came about. A lot of people have these beautiful logos associated with their business. You know, how did that logo come into existence? And and to be clear,
0: I guess, you know, some people listening to this might say, well, you know, I don't know, that just sounds full on for all of the elements of IP in our business. I guess the point is what we're doing here is we um it it's seeking We're seeking to find where is the value in your business? What makes the value in your business? Now, and if a critical component of that is intellectual property, then it's important that you can prove the chain of title, like prove that your organization is the owner of that That value, those rights, that asset. Absolutely. And and maybe if we talk about, I I guess, the difference between physical assets and intangible assets. I guess for physical assets, the, the reality is the real difference is for physical assets, it's generally fairly easy to trace ownership,
1: right? That's right. I mean, as I alluded to at the beginning of our chat today, uh, real estate is a really great example. Property, you know, land—it's a physical asset. You can go there, you can touch it, you can stand on it. Um, it's a tangible asset, and there's paperwork associated with that land. It's very clear when when the land, the plot, came into existence, if you like, and who the first owner was. And and you, you know, if you've ever been involved in property sales, you you can get some of the very old deeds that are associated with the sale of the property that go back 10, 20, 30, 100 years, you know, to establish way back when this was the owner and on this date it transferred to the next owner. And then following that, there was a subsequent transfer. And you can literally see before your eyes how, how this happened, you know, not so with with the intangible assets. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Which is why we're talking about this. So I guess with the intangible assets like copyright, um, for example, if if you're looking at, um, you know, let's say back to the acquisition example, looking at acquiring rights in an organisation where a lot of the value is in software, for example, then you'll want to make sure you're investigating the chain of title of the copyright in relation to that software to ensure that what Your purchasing has that asset um, in it, um, not something that might be exposed, uh, I guess, to being ripped away at some point in the future.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, the two big risks there is that you're paying valuable consideration for something that you're not ultimately going to be the owner of, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's essentially just a waste of good money. Um, And secondly, that you're exposing yourself to risk that the true owner is going to come knocking and call Mm. that asset back for you, um, from you. And now, you know, you've potentially lost money and you're finding yourself in a situation where you're engaged in a bitter argument and potentially, you know, litigation to try and hold on to that asset, um, or then to try to recover, you know, from the person who sold it to you in the first place. And not a happy situation for anybody to be in. And then, and so then that's also
0: true. If you think that you might be looking to sell your business at some point in the future and, and a large component of the value of your organization sits in intellectual property, be aware a buyer is going to be digging into this and going to be wanting to, to clarify from their own perspective that they believe that what they are buying into actually holds the asset that you say it does. And so this is a super important part of prep. For sale, uh, but it needs to be done well in advance because the longer it's left, the harder it is to uh, put our detective hats on and unwind the situation. But let's talk about that then, Robin. In in those instances um, where where um, intellectual property is important, uh, where we know there's a reason why the organisation needs to get clear on um, ensuring that it can. Uh, validate and establish its chain of title to some third party. Maybe just talk very briefly about the process that we go through.
1: So, the first thing that we're going to be doing is really sitting down with you, with our clients, and diving into well, let's do an audit of your assets. What is the intellectual property that we're talking about here? Where's the value in the business? Um, and, you know, what is it that we need to examine? And then, obviously, we're going to identify, you know, working with you, what, what those assets are, the ones that we need to investigate. Look, some of them, there's not much value attributed to them, so we don't want to necessarily devote our time to to digging into those ones. But you know, there is going to be valuable assets for you. So then we're going to talk to you about you know how those assets came into creation. Let's talk about the history of them, who you engaged to help you create them. Was it employees? Uh, Was it contractors? And we're going to want to hopefully start gathering physical evidence, so emails that you might have had to. To contractors, Uh, contractor agreements. uh, If you've got employees that are creating content, um, you know, we take a squeeze at your employment agreement, the default position being that employees who have created content in the course of their employment the owner is deemed to be the employer. Um, but a quick squeeze at the employment agreement to make sure it doesn't say anything different uh, would be part of that process. And then from there, once we've really dug right into where did the assets come from, who created them, who had a hand in them, then we start looking at what's in place already to, to prove that ownership and to, um, to, to trace that chain. And then, you know, we're identifying any gaps that might be there. If we do find gaps, hopefully we don't, but if we do, that's when we start looking at how we plug those holes. Is it retrospective assignment agreements things of that nature.
0: And it might be licensing, you know, and, and sometimes the reason for all of this might also be, you know, um, setting up licences in into the future as well, you know, so it might be prep work for getting, you know, the foundations of the intellectual property in the business ready for, for growth plans that might include uh, licensing. Yeah, absolutely. And so the one thing that I'd um, like to add for, for the IP audit perspective, it sounds really involved And sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. So sometimes that whole IP audit process can be quite simple. Sometimes the IP audit process can be complicated if there's a complicated history. But I promise you, if it's complicated now, it will be 10 times more complicated Um, If this is picked up at the time that you're looking at bringing on board investors, um, looking at exiting the business, you're looking at doing something else that's critical with the business and you haven't got it in place because the earlier you get to this stuff and get it cleaned up, The easier it is. You know, the longer it's left, the harder it is to find records, the harder it is to monitor all of this. And let's be frank a very large component of organizations that we deal with that haven't had the proper legal advice in the beginning will have issues. Won't have the right templates in place, won't have the right assignment clauses in place. And it's just once this is all set up, then it's just, it's something that you've got the right agreements to use going forward. And it's about keeping it clean as you grow rather than growing on a mess.
1: Absolutely, Joe. You've completely hit the nail on the head there. And you know, the other consideration is if, if you're looking at doing um, this sort of audit because you're considering a sale um, of your business, and the sooner the better because you know, as you referred to earlier, a diligent purchaser is going to be making these investigations. And if these problems are uncovered and we need to do, try and do remedial work to fix it, you're potentially going to be holding up your completion of your sale. You know, a purchaser is yeah. not going to want to go ahead with this paying any money until they can be assured that all of the documentation is in place. So, you know, and this is the investigations could potentially take time purchaser could decide to walk away um, because it's, it's just taking too long and you've lost yourself for sales. So um, the sooner that you, you know, turn your mind to these sorts of issues, get the IP audit done. Joe and I are very happy to help all of our listeners, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, get us involved. We really like to get to know you. We really like to dive into your business, um, you know, and help you avoid any of these sort of traps later, down, later on down the track.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. And then let's maybe just touch on a couple of um, very quick elements before we leave. Um, I I think some things that pop up time and time again is quite often um, there's a bit of a blurry line for founders when founders have Mm -hmm. created some of the intellectual property. Um, You know, it can be really unclear whether or not those founders with the author themselves, whether they're employees at the time. Um, and so this is a particular comment for um, you, you know, it can relate to prep for exit, but also in particular due diligence if you are an investor in or um looking to acquire an organization where IP is a large part of the value it's the importance of us going back and ensuring that there's proper assignments from the founder in relation to some of that earlier created intellectual property. Would you agree with that, Robin?
1: Oh, certainly, Jane. You know, what we're looking at in that sort of context is, you know, with your startup organizations, quite often it stems from an idea. It stems from the the creator's idea um, and they do a lot of significant development work In the very early stages just as on their own to try and get the idea off the ground before they start even considering things like incorporating companies and who the ultimate business owner is going to be and all of that work is done you know prior to the establishment of the registration of the companies and so then if you're later asserting that no you actually created it as an employee of the company and that was your capacity at the time you created it if we're talking about stuff that was created before the company even came into existence, that's not going to hold water. Um, And so in that instance, you know, we want to make sure very simple arrangement that we've got an assignment from the founder in their own personal right to the company, which is important, even if, the founder is still the sole director of the company, is still mm. the sole shareholder of the company, because as we know, companies are legal entities in their own right. So, you know, just putting into place that very basic assignment document, it can be retrospective, so we can refer to the earlier creation of works. Um, and if there's a question, we can look at doing more of a confirmation type arrangement um, and also capture future IP that may be created by the person in their own personal capacity as well Mm.
0: brilliant okay wonderful look I I think we've traversed um most of the issues Uh, do you think there's anything else that we've left out uh I, I guess you know perhaps one of the other things that we should say is um if you're uh in acquisition mode then um these sorts of considerations are relevant not just for due diligence but also in the way that your acquisition contract is drafted. Um, so, you know, you, you just have to make sure um, uh, you, that you're dealing with someone who understands from a legal perspective how to ensure that the right warranties are there, the right protections for you as an acquirer are there to ensure that, um, or the, that the value in the IP is, in fact, within the organization that you're purchasing, that that asset value is there. So so I guess that's one last thing. Is there anything else that you wanted to throw in,
1: Robin? I, You know, I just want to communicate to all of our lovely listeners, don't be scared by this. I know it does sound like a very intimidating process, um, and it does sound, you know, we've obviously highlighted some of the really significant traps um, for people to be aware of. But I just want to say, you know, don't be intimidated by it. It, it sounds like a scary process, but there is a very good system in place and Joanna and I are both very experienced in dealing with these sorts of issues. So uh, don't put it in the too hard basket give us a call, get in contact with us, and we can help untangle the mess for you. That's what we do. We are the problem solvers. So, um, you know, we don't... <laughs> like it. We, I'm going to adopt that, Robin. <laughs> yes, we're the, <laughs> we're the problem solvers. And so obviously <laughs> we want to solve little problems, not big problems. So come to us before the little problem grows. They escalate. Don't, don't right. put it in the too hard basket.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I guess just leaving the conversation rounded out, there are a number of critical points for thinking about um, this. Uh, so, if you're looking to prep for exit at some point in the future, if the value in your organisation. Um, has, if IP has a large component or holds a large component of value um, within your business, um, or if you are um, acquiring uh, a business where IP, you know, has a a substantial component of the value, these are the times when you really need to be thinking um, about this IP ownership and uh, uh, Confirming the chain of title, and as we said, um, the process is um, is an IP audit, and then and then you know fixing the issues that are there if if it's prep for exit or if it's done by the current business owner, um, or dealing with the sale contract if it's um, in acquisition mode. Absolutely that's it. Well, Robin, um, we will make sure we link through to you in our show notes. Um, And you, the listener, if you want to head over to our website, you'll see a link in the show notes for that. And at our website, you'll be able to get a transcript if you're the kind of person that just loves to go through this stuff in fine detail. Oh, that's me, Jo. (laughs) (laughs) She is our detail, Sawyer. Absolutely. You'll also be able to book in a free discussion with Robin or any of our other legal eagles via our uh, website. So make sure you do that. If this is a topic that you think is relevant to your organization, your exit or your acquisition, um, and we can have a discussion with you about how this topic might impact you. Well, that's it, Robin. I just want to say a massive thank
1: you today for coming on to the podcast. Very welcome, Joanna. Always a pleasure.
0: I love it, love it, love it. And thank you to you, the listener, for listening in. You have been listening to The Deal Room Podcast, proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at Aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, Ladies and we'll conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.